Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Roar Lions Roar. I am your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, and today we are recapping our Penn State player over-under picks that we did, I think, like the second week of August. And joining me again today, as they did about five and a half months ago, are my co-hosts, Bill DeFilippo. Bill, hello. How are you? I'm uh, I'm doing great. Uh, just getting ready to watch uh, Monday Night Raw this evening off of the enthralling Royal Rumble. Oh, nice. Nick, will you also, Nick Polak out, out there as well. Nick, will you also be watching Raw Rumble tonight or Monday Night Raw, whatever one is on? I will not. I will be doing house chores and maybe trying to build something. Nice. Like, Define what you mean by build, like house projects, or what are we talking here? Yeah, like turning the old media cabinet that I had upstairs into a golf storage space, like for my bag and for shoes and golf balls and tees and all that good stuff. I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to really, really work my way into being a true homeowner. So this is an important step: building things. Nice. I'm going to be very unproductive, and I'm probably going to start The Last of Us tonight because I've heard it's phenomenal. Um, so I got to sit down and watch that. But we are not here to talk about what we're doing on this lovely Monday evening. Like I said before, we are going to be recapping, going over, debriefing, whatever term you want to use, our over-under picks from earlier in the year. And I don't see any reason to not just jump right in. So the first over-under that we had was 39 and a half sacks for the Penn State defense. Bill, do you remember what you picked for this? So, Matt, you're dis- you're going to be really disappointed in me, uh, but I actually okay. jotted all of mine down when I took notes when we did this. So I'm looking at what my answer was, and I'm looking okay. at the logic that I gave for why I gave my answer. So if okay. you want if, if you want to have more fun with this, I recommend having Nick start these. Uh, unless Nick did the exact same thing as me. Uh, unless you want me to just say what I picked and then give what my logic was heading the, into this. The good news here is that not only do I not remember my picks, I did no research prior to making the picks originally, so I have <laughs> I could not have less information available for myself here. Bill, Bill, we'll let you start this one then, and then okay. we'll shift over to Nick, because uh, Nick, I think, is going to have no idea what his answer cool. is in the first place. That's so right. I picked I picked under, and I picked under uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one was that I thought Manny Diaz was going to want to really vary where his pressure was going to be coming from, and I figured that was going to lead to more quarterback pressures, maybe a fewer quarterback sacks. But then I also looked at how many teams from last year and how many teams over the last couple of years reached that 40 sack mark and it wasn't a lot it was about one in every 10 schools i then looked at penn state's roster coming into the season i said penn state's three best pass rushers were chop robinson hakeem beeman adisa isaac three guys who weren't on the team for one reason or another last year i really only trusted one linebacker as a blitzer in curtis jacobs uh of course uh abdul carter uh is very good at that and defensive backs, I didn't know where the blitzing was going to come from. And then my final thing was that Manny Diaz had only hit this mark in two of the previous five seasons. So I decided based on all of that to take the under, which uh, of course ended up being the wrong pick. Fair. It was, it was, but it was, it was close. Like it looked like this was trending towards the under until like the back half of the year. Like it's funny looking back on it. Like I, I took the over in this admittedly, but I was nervous, especially after Purdue, where Penn State got no sacks against what I thought was going to be a game where they could wrap them up. I actually have the breakdown of where Penn State sacks came from in every game this season. Penn State's 42 sacks included two against Purdue, one against Ohio, 
two against Central Michigan, one against Northwestern, one against Michigan, one against Minnesota, and two against Ohio State. That meant that they had seven against Auburn, and then to end the season, they had 20, uh, wait, no, 32 sacks in their final five games. Six against Indiana, seven against Maryland, four against Rutgers, three against Michigan State, and six against Utah. So basically, in the games where you expected Penn State to uh, stat pad early on in the season, they didn't really do that. But then at the end of the season, they decided, okay, this is where we are going to end up padding our stats by just terrorizing Talia Tagovailoa, um, whomever Indiana threw out there, and then Cameron Rising and his backup. Yeah, Bill, that that's that breakdown is interesting. I do remember like it felt like the team flipped the switch like after Ohio State, but I didn't realize it was like that insane, that insane of a turn. Nick, do you remember what you picked for this? I'm thinking that I said over because I was anticipating the combination of a more aggressive Manny Diaz defense with improved personnel leading to an over. That's my guess. Nick, you said under, but I will give Ah. you the caveat here, and I want to see if you remember this. You said you would flip it to over if one player got to three sacks. Do you remember who that player was? Uh, Daquan Hardy. It was. Do you know how many sacks Daquan Hardy finished with? Um, I don't actually remember him getting one this year. It was 0.5, so you are <laughs> correct in that regard. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so what changed it, Nick? Why Why did this group get to the over, and why did you think it wouldn't happen? <sighs> you know, I, I feel like they got to the over partially because, um, I mean, I think a lot of the credit goes to how good the secondary was. Like when you have Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King and Daquan Hardy and um, Johnny Dixon and all those guys just locking down receivers like it, it, there's only so much a offensive line can do to hold off a defensive line no matter how good blockers are you just can't hold back defensive linemen that long so I think the fact that the secondary was just so good at locking dudes up it just opened up a lot more opportunities for um, the defensive linemen and blitzing safeties and corners and the linebackers alike it was i mean and then of course you know the emergence of abdul carter is an absolute freak of nature helps too for sure that's the big one i went back and i listened to this episode like to get all this information and all of us were like concerned about edge rushers and justifiably so like we were all questioning who would you know replace arnold abiketti's production uh it turns out it was going to be abdul carter and jair brown who were top two on the teams in sacks. So edge yeah. rushers didn't really produce at that kind of level, but it turns out Penn State doesn't need that to have a successful pass rush. So that was an, that was an interesting little tidbit. And and I just ran the numbers between, and by ran the numbers, I mean I looked at the page on ESPN, I put them in my phone. Uh, <laughs> Abdul Carter, six and a half sacks. Chop Robinson, five and a half sacks. Adisa Isaac, four sacks. And Deny Dennis Sutton, three sacks. 19 sacks from guys who either didn't, for guys who did play for Penn State for one reason or another last year. And they were, you know, Robin uh, Carter was first on the team in sacks. Robinson was second. Uh, and then Dennis Sutton was tied for fifth. So Penn State was able to get, and, and this is a really impressive thing. And this is something that uh, makes you really optimistic about next year's team, and then just their ability to fold guys in uh, as long as Manny Diaz is around and hopefully whomever comes after him. But when you're able to get that kind of production from guys who are just getting dropped right into a defense who weren't didn't spend the last year 
playing for your team, that is a really good thing. You want you like how you know Arnold Ebiquette gave that, and you have that now with you now have a proof of concept of guys are able to come to Penn State or guys, you know, and Isaac is a bit of a different case, but guys are able to come to Penn State and immediately be able to make the kind of big disruptive plays that you want out of uh, a guys that are able to ch just change the complexion of a game altogether, it, you know, and I, I was a big fan of it. I was, I am very happy that I was wrong on this one because sacks are cool. Real quick, Bill, one thing I want to make sure I, I make note of because I didn't realize this. So you said it was 19 sacks came from guys who weren't on the roster uh, last year? Well, well, from those those guys, I didn't go <laughs> down and include, uh, you, you know, I didn't like go down Wiley and include, like, a sack. the half right, sack yeah. Keon Wiley had. Yeah. Yeah. Not, it didn't yeah, but so interesting, though, that, I mean, Chop, Deny Dennis Sutton, and, um, oh, my goodness, Abdul Carter, all didn't get to campus until I think May was the earliest. Like we've made such a big deal about early enrollees. Um, maybe it's not as big a deal as as we thought it was. I'm I'm gonna dig into that and I'm gonna explore that more this off season. Maybe that's interesting. All right, though. Thanks. Moving on, Nick. We're gonna start with you, which we will do from here on out. So I won't preface it anymore. The over under one and a half running backs with a 100 yard game. Nick, what do you think you said? So I remember specifically that I um misunderstood this question at first if i remember correctly but i'm pretty sure i said over because i said it would be three i said i think i did i think i specifically said kevon lee would get one week one you and did. then after that uh alan and singleton would both go over 100 at various points um i seem to remember i was the i mean i i've been pretty much the high guy on Catron allen from the second he committed um but i feel like i was much more emphatic that he maybe i think i'm did I maybe say he was going to have more 100-yard games than Singleton? Something like that. I don't think it was that, but I think you said multiple players will go over 100 yards multiple times, which you were correct on. Singleton went over 100 yards four times, while Catron Allen did it twice. So there you go. But Kayvon Lee did make a big impact against Purdue in another regard. Bill, you, yeah. like me, went with the under on this one? I, I did, and it was, you know, I— in my notes here, I said it was because I thought Singleton was just going to grab onto the running back, start a running back job, and you know take it and establish himself as the best young running back in college football. I think you can argue uh, him and then, gosh, I forget who uh, the freshman was down at Ole Miss, uh, made a case that he is the best young running back in college football. And to that end, yet you know got that part of it right. But what I got wrong was that Catron Allen showed that he is right there in terms of being one of the best young running backs in all of college football. He, it was something we talked about throughout the season. Allen was just so much better, I felt, and I know you guys felt, at being able to consistently pick up four, five, six yards and being able to say, plant your foot in the ground, find, see, see a hole, plant your foot in the ground, hit it, take what they give you. And he didn't have that uh, the ability that Singleton had to break a game open with one run, but that's because there are maybe three, four guys in college football who have that ability. So, uh, yeah, Catron Allen's really good. I, I remember, like, going back through this, I think I realized how down bad, like, we all were about the Penn State running game. Like, I remember I just wanted one guy to do it one time. Like, I would have been beyond happy with a 100-yard game against Ohio, and that's it. Um, And to now go back and see that it happened uh, if my math is correct, uh, six times in a 13-game season is is a 
clip I did not think possible. So I am, I am very pleased to be wrong on this one. And I didn't think it was going to be uh, Katron Allen. And I'm a lot of credit to him. He ended up actually out snapping. Maybe not out snapping. He got more carries than Singleton in the end. And both those guys made their money, man. They, they really earned their way onto the field and earned their way into some pretty impressive honors. So shout out to them. So we'll move on now to the offensive line. Well, well, can I can I can I inter- can yeah, I interject and ask a question? If Kayvon Lee doesn't get hurt, do you think this gets to three? No. Okay. Do you? The tough part of this for me is that it was clearly the best offensive line that he would have played behind, and or the clearly the best offensive line he would have played. Yeah, I, I would say in general, even dating back to. 2020 and in 2020 when he was playing behind a, a pretty solid an offensive line I don't want to say pretty solid but had some good games he had a 134 yard rushing game where he carried the ball 22 times he had a 95 yard game against Rutgers he had an 85 yard game against Illinois and I don't think he would have but I think he would have needed to have one game where the coaching staff felt like He's the hot hand. We're going to ride him, and we're going to see what we get out of him. Uh, I, I know you disagree, uh, Matt. Nick, my hunch is you also think he wouldn't have hit the hundred yard mark in any game this year. But I, I, I think he would have been close. I think all he would have needed again was just one game where they decide they were going to rely on him because we saw early in the season they were really willing to keep him out there and let him be the guy. You know, that final game, uh, the final stretch against Purdue, the game against Northwestern, it seemed like they had a level of trust in him uh, that the younger running backs gained, but it was a little easier for him to get to a point where they would have said, hey, we're just going to keep I think I could have seen him getting a 100-yard game later in the year when, like, Sing like at the point when Singleton and Allen were like the only two dudes that could like move at running back. Like when everyone everyone was hurt, ever everyone was gone. Like I feel like against like Rutgers or something, they could have maybe let Lee go and see if he got over hundred. I, I don't know how confident I feel in that. What I will say, I do think had he been healthy, I think he would have comfortably led all three of them in receiving yards of the running back group. Yeah, that's that's fair. Actually, on that note, I don't know if I would say Kayvon Lee could get to a 100-yard game, but if he had stayed the full season, I think Devin Ford would have had a 100-yard receiving game. Like, mm-hmm. I think that that play he had against Auburn where he caught it out of the flat, I want to say, uh, I think he could have ripped off a big run against, like, a, a Central Michigan or something like that and, and just added, like, a couple more dink plays to get over 100. I feel pretty good that that would have happened. This one, admittedly, this next one was a bad over-under because I said presume no injuries. And then everybody on Penn State's offensive line decided to break their arm at one time. It was really terrible. Um, so I'll open this up to discussion here. So, Bill, the over-under was six and a half offensive linemen to start a game. Um, injuries, yeah. I said, don't count. But I don't know how we contextualize this. So let's let's reframe it here. How many offensive line do you think would have played starter reps throughout the course of the season? Like, assuming everybody stayed healthy. I have the number at seven. So over the six and a half mark, I personally took the under. So this will be an L for me if we go with that. And those seven I have are Olu, Landon Tangwall, Juice Scruggs, Salim Wormley, Caden uh, Wallace, Bryce Effner, and Hunter Norzad. Think that's fair? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, all, one of the pleasant surprises of this season for me was that 
Drew Shelton was able to step in and look like a guy who, you know, he didn't look like a true freshman. I There were, of course, some true freshman mistakes uh, at left tackle, but he was able to play and look pretty solid, but that door was only open because of Olu getting hurt. I don't think that would have happened uh, in the event that Olu was healthy. I mean, of course, Olu was Olu could have been a top five NFL draft pick this year. So I would say that that sounds right, right to me. I think I also I for this one, give me a second. Uh, yes, I also picked the under, and I said Norris Ad was going to be the only other guy who I thought got a start. Yeah, Nick. I don't remember. I remember being very confused about the question after all the qualifiers we added and then took away. <laughs> Um, I'm guessing you took over. So you're the one who hits on this in the okay. end. You took the over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like so, for me, it was a question, um, mainly surrounding Tang wall and that left guard spot. If I remember correctly. Yeah. With Norzad competing in camp with him for that yeah. one, that seemed to be a holdup for you back then. I will say the big takeaway I think here is that Penn state had seven dudes on the offensive line that they felt could start. Um, six of them are back, and we also learned that uh, Drew Shelton, uh, Vega Iwane, and J.B. Nelson are also really good. So I think the biggest takeaway that we can take from this question, which admittedly was was a poor was a poor over under, um, is that Phil Troutwine uh, should keep his job for a while. I think. Whoa, he, aren't, aren't, whoa, whoa, whoa! Aren't 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 only five of them back? With Scruggs oh, you're moving right. Sorry, on, sorry, you're right. Scruggs has uh, moved on. Efner moving on from football. Sorry, you're right. Scruggs has moved on. Yep, sorry. So four of this. Wait, five? Yeah, five of this seven. One, two, yes. three, yes. four. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, five. Yeah, five of this seven uh, will be back, which is exciting. Cool. All right, moving on. This one, admittedly, probably set it a bit too low, but five and a half players to record an interception. Nick, do you remember what you picked? I think I said over because I think I predicted... Wheatley, Jair, Porter, King, Hardy, Dixon. That's six. I, I think I predicted at least those six would have gotten one each. You did. You did indeed predict the over. Um, So that's something I got to give a lot of credit to you there. So who are you surprised with? I mean, Jair Brown ended up leading the team in picks. Kalen King came in second. And then, shockingly, Joey Porter Jr. finished the year with no interceptions. If I told you that back in only, August... Only one career. Yeah, which is absolutely insane. If I told you that in August, would you still have taken the over that Joey Porter Jr. would not have recorded an interception this year? I think so, yes, because I think if you told me that then, I would have assumed that he just wasn't getting thrown at at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I would have still felt okay about that going over. Bill, to you, you, you took the over here as well. I did, and my logic was that they've consistently had somewhere between five and seven over the last couple of years. Uh, and since 2016, Miami, of course, Manny Diaz's former program, always hit the over. In 2017, they had as many as nine guys recording the interception. Uh, so when I'm looking at this, like you mentioned on Porter, him not getting one wasn't a big surprise for me because other than the Purdue game, a game where Purdue really had one idea, and it was to throw the football to Charlie Jones and Chuck you know, twelve receptions, one hundred and fifty-three yards, one touchdown. In games where Aiden O'Connell played for that first stretch to start the season, that was actually his least productive game. Against Indiana State, 
He had nine receptions for 133 yards and three touchdowns. Syracuse, 11, 188, and one. FAU, I think that was the game where uh, where O'Connell didn't finish it. So of those three games, that was actually somehow the worst game that Charlie Jones played. And Joey Porter Jr. did a really good job of limiting him to, you know, a couple of yards that were going to tackle him, that sort of thing. So that doesn't surprise me because Joey Porter Jr. was always, they always hyped him up as the kind of cornerback that you have to throw away. You cannot throw the football in the vicinity of Joey Porter Jr. Who benefits from that? The cornerback across from him. Kamlin King, three interceptions. Johnny Dixon, two interceptions. Those are the guys on the other side of Joey Porter Jr. Jair Brown just out there playing that center field role. If you can't throw on Joey Porter Jr. and you're trying to throw the ball downfield, Jair Brown's somewhere to take the football. So I'm not really, I'm not really surprised the Porter ended up having zero. I think I probably would have picked the over even if you told me that because they just built up a secondary where, okay, you don't want to throw at one guy. You have to throw at one of these other guys. And that's one of the things that has me so excited heading into next year where, okay, you're not going to throw the football at Kalen King. Good luck throwing on Johnny Dixon, on Storm Duck, on Daquan Hardy, who's backing it. Just all of these guys who are able to break up and intercept passes in Penn State. RIP to the Charlie Jones versus Iowa offense tracker. That's right. That was that was phenomenal content. Real quick, Nick, I'm going to give you credit as much as it kills me. You specifically called out having some random defensive lineman get a pick <laughs> uh, because Luketa did it last year. Uh, and you were right. Do you remember who had the pick from Penn State's defensive line this year? Was it? Did did Beeman get one? Beeman did not get one. Nope. Younger. 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 Zane didn't get one. Zane did not get one. Right class, but no. Yep. Oh, boy. Deny didn't get one, did he? Yeah. He did? Yes, he did. Deny did get one. On like an engage eight against Indiana's oh, that's right. quarterback yeah, where yeah, yeah. Sutherland batted the ball in the air right. and it could not have landed more in DDS's hands. That's right. So I got to give you credit there. I forgot about that Luketa play when I made this question and, and that was a good call out by I you. I mean, there's almost, all, yeah, I mean, you, have the, you had the Luketa play. I mean, Anthony Zettel, what, had, I think it had at least two interceptions in his career. Like they, those, it just happens. It's college football. Those things happen. Yeah. Zettel had one. Nassib, I remember, had one against Buffalo. Um, DDS had one, Luketa had one. There's been like a really weird list of like Penn State defensive linemen routinely like stumbling their way into interceptions. It's been a it's been a fun trend, and I I hope Hakeem Beeman gets one this year. That would be cool. <laughs> but speaking of cool things, gentlemen, let me tell you about Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel is our official sponsor. They make some of the coolest, coziest, most comfortable gear on the college sports internet right now they got hoodies they got crew necks they've got weird joggers with the yukon logo on it they have t-shirts which i know you all own is anybody rocking their home field apparel gear right now not right now no i'm wearing uh, the i'm wearing the shirt that they put in mcclanahan's when college game day came for michigan in 2007 yeah nice fun i am wearing my old blog uh tutty's hoodie so, but that does not mean I will not be wearing home field apparel this week. I have a trip planned in a couple weeks, and I've already prepared my home field gear to come along with me as I explore uh, Savannah and Charleston uh, in February. But our listeners can get 15% their first order from home field apparel. Doesn't have to be Penn State. Just make sure you use the promo code Roar Lions Roar. I have Louisville gear. I have Tulane gear. I have Yukon gear. I have a UC Irvine Zot sweatshirt that I really like. 
all kinds of different colleges out there. They make really great stuff. They're our podcast's oldest partner uh, in the sense that they sponsored us since our relaunch uh, last year. Uh, but again, they make great stuff. We love working with them. And our listeners get 15% off of their first order with promo code ROARLIONSROAR, all one word, all caps at checkout. So thank you to Homefield for letting us talk uh, over-unders and you know recapping our weird brains that we had to formulate thoughts with going back to August. And this is the question that I am most excited to talk about. Over-under, one and a half games played for Drew Aller. And in my notes here, I wrote, LOL, we recorded this the day before he was announced as the backup. We <laughs> looked like idiots. LOL again. I, I was, I was, so if, if I can go first, yeah, on go this ahead, one, just because I want to read, I want to read what my exact note was. Okay. Hit me. Under, under CV gets the first chance at backup reps in games, namely in OOC. Our maybe gets the final possession or two in one of those to which I then say, we really should have just waited another day to record this because I would have said something different. I feel like I said over. Nick, you said under. Oh, damn. We, again, was totally justified. The funny thing is, if only you changed the name to Bo Prabula, this would have been just very different. That's true. It would have been very different. It, I took the over here. Um, I, I will shut up because the second we start talking about Drew Aller, I will go into an absolute monologue and we don't need that. Uh, but I was correct, and I remember when Aller came in against Purdue, I, I added both of you in the slack, and I said it was free money. Um, but also credit to uh, Christian Veyer. Do you know how many games Christian Veyer got in this year? Was it two? It was two. So this also would have hit. So that uh, I will align that with our logic that we had at the time, that the third string got into two games. So that was cool. Um, any, any thoughts? Were you surprised that Aller was the primary backup? all the way going back to week one. Like, I think it was clear that he had kind of taken control after the non-con, but were you surprised that Franklin actually trotted him out there going back to Purdue? I mean, I don't think he had a choice in the, you know, Purdue situation, right? Um, and I, I think what we heard rumblings that, you know, initially it was because of an injury to Veyer, right? That initially Aller was getting those reps as the mm -hmm. two. Um, but, you know, when you have the talent, that Drew Aller has, it's the kind of thing where if you give him, if you give him the backup job, he's probably not going to give it back. So I'm not, I wasn't surprised that he didn't lose it. And I wasn't, once he had that backup job, you know, really nailed down. Uh, I wasn't surprised at all at any point during the season about his usage. I, it, it's, it's very clear that he is and always has been since he committed and signed that he is going to be the guy in the future. So it makes perfect sense that they did as much as they could to get him as many actual game reps as they could. So this, yeah, I wasn't terribly surprised here. Yeah, I, the the one thing that I will say surprised me is we, you know, like Nick mentioned, you still don't know if um, if uh, Christian Veyer was actually hurt or sick or whatever and that's why Aller took the job from him but just because he takes the job doesn't mean it has to stay his job and I think he did an excellent job all season taking advantage of the opportunities that were given to him you, you don't necessarily have to do that um 
you don't necessarily have to do that if you're a young quarterback. You can go out there and look completely lost, and nobody will blame you. Absolutely no one will blame you if you go out there and look terrible. And my proof for this is the one guy in the recruiting class who was ranked higher than him, uh, I believe by 24-7. Oh, wait, no, the uh, number two quarterback in the class by 24-7, Cade Klubnik, down at Clemson. I think Dabo Swinney put on a master class in how to just not put your quarterback in a position to succeed by throwing Cade Klubnik out there against Notre Dame for one pass, which I believe was either an interception or a pick six. He goes out, he beats up on a terrible North Carolina team in the ACC championship game, goes out against Tennessee in the Orange Bowl and looked awful. The dude he looked just bad. looked absolutely he looked bad, man. Awful. He, he, he looked like a true freshman. And I think it's a testament to James Franklin, uh, to Mike Yurcich, to you know Sean Clifford, to whatever extent you want to talk about his mentorship here, but most importantly, Drew Aller, that I, I didn't think Aller ever looked like a killer or anything. Uh, I thought he looked like a talented but flawed kid. But at the end of the day, at no point did he go out there and look completely lost. At no point was he put into a succession a position, unless you want to say against Michigan, probably not, where he could fail and it could be a problem. And for that reason, again, all credit to Drew Auer for making the most of those opportunities, all credit to Penn State's coaching staff for making the best of it. And of course, the big issue here is that we did not wait one more goddamn day to record that podcast when the answers would have been very different. Sometimes it's all about timing. Sometimes that's all it takes. Yes. All right, well, keep it in the quarterback room, and the over-under we had for Sean Clifford passing touchdowns was 24-and-a-half. Nick, do you remember what you picked? I think I said over. You said under, oh, and that hits. Interesting. Because Cliff threw exactly 24. I'm wondering if I... I'm wondering if I was predicting a resurgent run game, and that's partially why you I did. said that. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you picked. You picked. You said they were going to punch it in on the goal line a lot, mm. um, which you ended up being right. That T formation uh, really, really pushed us here. Ketron Allen, baby. I also, I also had the under here, and I said the under by a smidge, uh, which I will call the the half a touchdown that we hit this by. Bill, you went with the over. Were you surprised that this did. one did not hit? Uh, I I would say yes. Uh, I thought this was. Yeah, I think we probably all agree. I thought this was the best year that Sean Clifford has. Penn State starting quarterback. My logic that I wrote down was that he was going, there were going to be improvements in Sean Clifford's game this year. And I would say we got that. He actually set his career high in touchdowns passes this year with 24. Yep. His previous career high was in 2019 with 23. So he managed to just like middle this thing so that he got a career high, but it wasn't the total that you set it as. Uh, I'm actually fascinated in. Clifford's year this year because Penn State played uh, 13 games this year. Penn State, of course, played nine games in 2020. And Clifford only threw 100 more passes than he did in five more games than he did in 2020. Last year, he threw the ball 428 times compared to the 351 he threw this year. All of this is to say the reason that Clifford did not hit that number and you could 
also make the case the reason that his completion percentage was as high as it was at any point in his career, his passer rating was as high as it ever was in his career. Uh, no, I don't have his QBR year by year, but I'm guessing his QBR was the highest it's ever been this year. It was because of Penn State's running game, because Penn State was never really in situations where Sean Clifford had to go out and throw them to a win. And that was bad for the total on uh, touchdown uh, passes by Clifford. It was really good for the team, both presently because of what it meant for Nick Singleton and Katron Allen being able to get snaps and the future because Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are now battle tester running backs heading into their sophomore season. I'll give you another benefit of the doubt, doubt here, Bill, is that we saw a really like a, a fundamental change in how Franklin handled backups, I think. Like he pulled Clifford early yeah. in a lot of games. I think if if Clifford stays in for like maybe four more drives total this season, this one hits. I think it's it- I don't I don't know if he manages the backup the same way though, if the backup was, you know, like Christian or, or just like like a fellow senior, like somebody else that's not gonna be starting next year. Yeah. Because because what do they so Matt, you and I have had this conversation with a group of our friends. We've all yelled at you because <laughs> that's not how he handles other backups. He handles backups at defensive line, at linebacker, at wide receiver, at running back, very differently from how he handles backups at court. Right. That has always been James Franklin's thing. And James Franklin has always been, we're having our quarterback say out there, uh, once we take out the entire offense, we are putting the entire new offense in, and that means an entire new quarterback. And the difference this year, and this was something that Franklin talked about, this is something that drove a lot of fans insane, was he wanted to try and balance getting the backup quarterback, of course, Drew Aller, reps where he is, one, the game is in a place where you feel comfortable putting your backup quarterback in, but two, the game is in a place where you feel comfortable putting your backup quarterback in and you're not concerned about getting everybody else out. They wanted him to get reps with the run ones. And that was how things were a little bit. Only one quarterback got reps with the runs this season. That was the Purdue game. But that was just how things were different for Drew Aller this season. And again, it goes to how this quarterback room was managed and how it ended up yeah, probably hurting Sean Clifford's raw numbers a little bit. I mean, he was 188 yards away from having 3,000 passing yards. He set his career touchdown record, uh, his personal touchdown record, but, you know, he could have easily gotten to 27-28 and made his numbers look a little bit nicer this year. But instead, they decided they wanted to give Drew Auer a chance to get out there with Singleton, with Allen, with the first-team offensive line, with the first-team wide receivers, and get a little bit of experience with guys of that caliber as opposed to, uh, you know, God bless Tank Smith with throwing wheel routes to Tank Smith when he was out there. Would have been cool to hit Tank Smith on a wheel route. That would have been great. All right, we'll move on to the to the over-under that, Bill, uh, I believe your exact term uh, was that I was a maniac for this number, and it turns out Bill was right because this was nowhere close. So the over-under was three and a half players with at least 40 catches. And in my notes, I have, LOL, two got there. What was I thinking? Um, so, Bill, do you want to take your victory lap here? I, 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 I the don't victory really lap was taken when we originally recorded this. Like, <laughs> This is true. Yeah. And take, so so, so the, lo- the logic that I had, Penn State has had this, one since the two th- had this one since the 2016 season, 
And it was in 2017 when four guys are currently in the NFL, were currently in the NFL, Mike Kosicki, Saquon Barkley, Jawan Johnson, and Deshaun Hamilton were their pass catchers. Yurisich had this one time at Oklahoma State, and that was back in 2017. Ohio State has not had this a single time over the had not had this a single time over the last five seasons. Alabama had it once over the last five seasons. So I basically thought my logic was in order to do that, it was really, really hard. It was incredibly difficult to get the ball out to that many dudes, even before you account for a better running game. And, you know, then ended up happening. And we could, one could make the argument, if either of you would like to do this, that the wide receiver room disappointed a bit this season. And that was part of the reason why the numbers were a bit gaudier, even at the very top where Mitchell Tinsley, 51 receptions for 577 yards and five touchdowns, Parker Washington, 46, 611 and two. But I think just generally, that's a really fundamentally difficult thing to have to do. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, the I think to your point about the wide receiver room in general being um, having a down year, I would agree. Um but it's it's also you know like like you said it's hard to really parse it out like I, I I do think that they were not terribly great at finding creative ways to get open like I don't know if this was their best year route running um, but kind of the shadow over all of these predictions I know for myself was that I thought the running game would improve and the running game improved by leaps and bounds so you know it, it's when you're analyzing receiver production like on a um like on a quantitative basis when we're talking totals you know how how much how do you really analyze that when you're putting it up against an improved run game because the two are in a symbiotic relationship so um like we probably should have leaned harder into more like rate stats uh when making over-unders like this but yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I had the under here. I want that. I want that out there in the zeitgeist. But I thought they would come close because I thought Jahan caught like ninety something balls um, in twenty twenty one, and he's the first first round pick at receiver this program has had in like twenty five years. Like that's a that's a very special talent. So I thought it would take two guys to replace that, uh, and I, and I was kind of right. I mean Tinsley and Washington about totaled that, that number. Then I thought that, you know, Theo Johnson would emerge. He missed some time. Brenton Strange emerged instead. They kind of ate into each other. Strange finished with 32 catches. And then I thought a running back would really come on. I thought the screen game would be really more involved than it ended up being. And that's where I got to about that over-under number. Um, and it turns out I was nowhere close because, again, only three guys got to 30. So just uh, I'm curious to see how this... Well if I set this next year, we do this activity next year. If I put this at two and a half, where are you guys leaning? Mm, probably uh, under. I, I probably, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I will say this. Uh, you mentioned Dotson weaving and how um, that impacted things uh, for Penn State. You know, someone's got to catch the football. Uh, Penn State last year, uh, of course, the year John Dotson caught 91 passes, 291 completions. This year, 270. So guys were still out there catching the football. Penn State basically had the same number of completions, albeit in uh, 64 fewer attempts. Uh, they ran the ball 437 times last year. They ran it 489 times this year. So they did run it a bit more. But in terms of completing passes to guys, 
it's not like they were out here uh you know it's not like they were they completely uh went away from throwing the football you know you allocate those 21 passes out and you still even if you give half of them uh you give as many as Brent, to Brenton Strange as he needs that gets him uh eight would have gotten him to 40 that means there would have been 13 left over for Keandre Lambert Smith that only would have gotten him to 37 so Penn State's thing was it got the ball to more guys this season but it still completed you know about the same number of passes albeit on a whole lot fewer attempts that did I never like would have thought to even look up that stat that's interesting I wonder what that's gonna parlay into as as they need pass catchers desperately in in the new season but one thing they don't need in the new season are running backs. And I got to give you two credit here. This last one, or second last one, I guess. So 650 and a half rushing yards for Penn State's leading rusher. I had the under here. And in my notes, I put, this is the first time I've ever thought conservatively about Penn State football in the month of August. Like I'm always Mr. Optimism. And I, I really was down bad about their running game. Nick, you had the over here. Take, take a victory lap. Both guys, Singleton and Allen, got over this mark. Yeah, first of all, uh, I, I I am the true optimistic force here, so you got you, to you get on my level first for that. But yeah, I think, fair, I, fair. I think I actually specifically said that both Singleton and Allen would get over this. Um, yeah, you know, I just... It had, like we've said time and time and time and time again... I, w- I thought he looked a lot better this year in the limited time we saw him, but I was not a fan of the way that Keevon Lee ran the football while at Penn State. And I thought that with um, improved rushing technique and with an, what we thought was going to be an improved offensive line, I didn't think it was a stretch for Penn State to you know turn back into a functional rushing team. And we have seen them under James Franklin when they can run the football effectively, they're going to run the football. So yeah, I, I, this honestly, this was a pretty easy one for me, but I remember, I, I do remember this one. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't conflicted. Bill over to you. You also had the over here. Uh, yeah, my single note, my note here was over comma, big singleton guy, exclamation point. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 can very confidently and proudly and, uh, you know, optimistically say I have not wavered on that. I still think Nick Singleton is pretty good. But I, I think even, even I would say the most optimistic Katron Allen person, so Nick, would probably <laughs> admit coming into this season, if I said to him, Nick Singleton is going to run for over a thousand yards this season, that probably would have meant Katron Allen wasn't going to hit this. It would have been, or it would have been very difficult for him to hit this. And I think it is quite the testament to Katron Allen and how Penn State just used its running backs in general that Singleton was able to get above the thousand yard mark. You know, just such kind of a hollowed mark for a running back. Singleton had 1,061 rushing yards as a true freshman. Saquon Barkley had 1,076. You go back to the 2015 season, uh, Saquon's first year on campus. He ran for 1,076 yards. Their next leading rusher was Akil Lynch with 282. So, oh my again, God. just a real testament 
uh, to how good, how they literally could not have kept Catron Allen on the sideline, even with how good Singleton was as a football player. I'm curious to see how they handle things moving forward. Like, I don't think, I think they want a third guy. I think they need a third guy. Like, the problem is they don't have a third guy. Like, London Montgomery's not going to be ready. Um, I, I forget the player Cam from Georgia Loss that they signed. Why, baby? You're. The, the the thing is, you're you're one ankle moving in the wrong du- direction away from being down to one running back. If you know one running back and a bunch of walk ons, so yeah, like you know, just generally, I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on this. If they were to get a running back in the transfer portal, who could, you know, I'm I'm not even sitting here and saying I want them to go out and get another Nick Singleton or Catron Alex. That guy doesn't exist. If there is any position on the offense now that they have kind of figured out what they have at wide receiver where they can go portal shopping. I want it to be running back, but uh, I'm interested in hearing what you guys think, just because I want them to have that little bit of insurance in case, you know, Singleton plants his foot wrong, and next thing you know, he's out. For yeah, I, there, can I pull a name? Ooh, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please pull your name. Can, can I pull a name from the from the depths of Penn State football history? There's no there's no Kevin Rayner for running back. Like there's not that guy who's gonna come. That's a really deep cut for Nick, especially uh, I think. There's there there's not there's there's not a guy that everyone uh, every one of the fan base is going to be really annoying about, even though when he plays, he, you know, he's you know there's a reason why he's a backup. Right. Like there there's not gonna be that depth piece who just loves Penn State and want, like wants to play, be like his family and play for Penn State. Like, that, that just doesn't exist. I don't know how you're going to find this option. Like, maybe you can find a JUCO guy who has the COVID year and, like, convince him to come in. Uh, or maybe there's just some guy at, like, an FCS school who, you know, knows he's done playing football and wants to give it a go, you know, with the big boys. But, like, I, I can't bank on that. It'd be cool if they can get one, but realistically, I just don't think that player exists right now. I think it's probably it's probably unlikely that they'll find like anyone that you have even momentarily heard of. What I do think they can use to their advantage if they do, and because I agree, I do think they should look for somebody in the portal because depth is a good thing and building depth is important. Um I do think one thing to their advantage if they go portal shopping for a receiver is they can specifically look for somebody to fill more of that pass catching back role because we saw Katron Allen do it a bit and I thought he looked pretty good catching the football pretty natural Singleton had some struggles in the receiving game I think but I don't think that James Franklin and Mike Yersich would at all be against having another guy um, even if it's primarily like a third and long type back where maybe sometimes they're there catching a screen pass. Most of the time they're just out there to block. I don't think they would be against finding somebody to, you know, take some of those hits and not have to, you know, keep those on Allen and Singleton's plate because, you know, you want to create, you you want to build total and, you know, total running backs with complete skill sets. But it's like that's not their main value. So if you can avoid giving them those reps that aren't really going to change their personal outcomes or the team outcome, it's worth exploring. So what I'm hearing is Tony Rojas as Penn State's weird version of Miles Jack uh, at UCLA from like a decade ago. Give me, uh, give me King cool. Doru. I think he entered the portal from Purdue. Oh, sure. okay. All right. All right. We can work with that. But 
All right, gents, the last one, and this one, similar to offensive line, we'll, ha we'll have to break it down here in real time. So the over-under was 59% of snaps with five defensive backs on the field. So basically, uh, the theory was they would be a primary nickel defense. What do you feel like this was? I have total snaps broken out by position. So linebackers are on the field for 2,563 snaps corners for 2,126, corners for 1,992. I don't know how we want to break that down. Bill, we'll start with you. What did you think Penn State's base defense was? Uh, I think its base defense was four down live and three live backers and four defensive backs. I mean, I, um, I, I don't think I, I think they deviated away from that on passing downs, but they really wanted to have that linebacking trio of Jonathan Sutherland, of uh, Tyler Elsden, and Curtis Jacobs out there. And then they changed things up situationally. I believe when we did the pod earlier in the year, I said, it's just so tough to quantify. Yep. It's so situational. So I took the under on that. Uh, and because we don't have a specific answer, I'm saying I was right. Nick, do you remember what you said? And then do you want to tailor your answer based upon that? I think I may have said over, and I think it was probably fueled by one. I, Jonathan Sutherland seems like a really good dude, and I'm glad he was at Penn State. It just wasn't, you know, necessarily the greatest football player. Um, I'm guessing that I probably said over because I thought they would want to limit the amount of reps for Sutherland or maybe not limit, but um, be very choosy about what they asked him to do from that role. And I would bet that over the first maybe half of the season, they maybe did do more out of the nickel defense than with three linebackers. But I'm wondering if then that shifted around halfway through the year when they moved Jacobs back to the Sam role and gave Carter more time at the will with Kobe King or Elsden between them, because I think that is when they were at their best when they had both Jacobs and Carter on the field. Um, yeah, I, I like, like Bill said, they typically when they're in third down, they're almost always two linebackers, five DBs. Um, but I, I do think, I feel like there was at least a little bit of a shift towards more three linebacker sets as the season went on. Thanks. Mostly thanks to Carter's emergence. And then Jacob's just like rediscovering what makes him awesome when he moved back to the Sam. Yeah. All right, Nick. So I'll put you down here as, as calling this, calling this an under um, that ended up being an under then. I think that's, that's fair. It did feel like that's a really good point you made, Nick, where it felt like it was a lot of five defensive back sets early on. I think a lot of that is because one Purdue uh, and then from there, they blew out the next three opponents. Yeah. Like, they they killed Ohio, they killed Auburn, they killed Central Michigan. Um, Northwestern was just the worst game I've ever watched in my life, and that's saying something. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it ended up being pretty hard to quantify. So, we'll call it we'll call it under here. So, Bill gets the win here. And, gentlemen, it was a, it was a close race. But, Nick, you come out on top by correctly predicting the most over-unders here. Uh, Nick, how do you feel after winning this very high stakes matchup? Yeah, I just, I'd like to thank uh, my family. I'd like to thank uh, my dog sleeping here. I'd like to thank uh, Daquan Hardy and Katron Allen and all my <laughs> other favorites. Um, 
yeah i don't know this i i, I think as a whole yeah. we did quite well as a group here with these yeah I, I think overall we did pretty good did did you did you finish above me uh matt or did i come through you, you finished with four correct i finished with five correct and then nick finished with six okay. correct so it was so the okay. two hour thing so is what I've, pushed me over okay so i've I've uh, won every time we've done this except for five since 1967. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, can can can, yeah. can I go on a quick hit me? Lean into it, James cowards. Franklin. I know you don't listen to our pod. J- James Franklin. If one of you listen to our podcast, I don't know why, uh, but thank you for doing that. Uh, five five stars. Five James stars Franklin's on Apple Podcasts and uh, nice comments. Thank yeah, you. Uh, uh, yes, five star five star review on Apple Podcast or any other podcast platform you use. Uh, if anyone is James Franklin or has James Franklin's ear, I want you to tell him this. I understand how cumbersome and embarrassing that graphic was when it first came out. I completely get it. Having said that, it has been... Uh, this is the third Super Bowl since that graphic came out. It's still accurate. Please embrace how funny it is. Like, just laugh. At, just think for two seconds about this graphic and how hard you have to work in order to make the big letters make sense by putting those cumbersome small letters below. That is so funny. If you do not know what we mean, uh, God bless, just Google Penn State except for five since (laughs) 1967. Please, James Franklin, Become cool with that. Have that tweeted out every single year that Penn State has someone in the Super Bowl. And if Penn State doesn't, just cross, like, bad Photoshop, cross out the five and write six. <laughs> just something like that. Let's just have some fun with this thing. It's very funny. And who doesn't love someone and who's able you, to laugh And when you himself? continue to be annoyed by it, then you open yourself up to the thing that Arkansas did after the bowl last year when they made the yes. they remade the graphic with arkansas stuff and whatever it was i don't even remember what bowl it was at this point but um outback yeah just lean into it have fun even seriously even if you just tweet out a graphic that says a penn stater has appeared in every super bowl and then the caption is except five since 1967 that would kill it would socials. absolutely it would Everyone dominate would love that. Blog, blog would retweet it would it. be so funny dude it would so there's been there's been a lot of mishaps of like Really, really, we love the Penn State Athletic Department here on this podcast. If we ever ask for media credentials, don't take them away, please. Um, but there was one they had that Jason Kirk wrote about for SB Nation back in 2016. And do you guys remember what this one would have been? Like, what would have been controversial back then? No, I don't. SB Nation was that that was that in a website? Year? In in what in what year? Uh, in 2016, Bill, in May of 2016, Nick allegedly it was a website. Interesting. May of 26. I, I can't think of what this was. I it would have been they put a big graphic, and the very top of it, it just says no talent required. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because they were they were doing the thing where it was like, listen, you come here, you grind, you work hard, and great things will happen. And instead, it came off as like, yeah, you suck. Penn State's the place for you, of course. And then have the context of. Uh, people weren't happy with James Franklin by that <laughs> yep. point because it hadn't been the 2016 season. Yes, I I remember that. That's All right, right. So there's so the, the there's so on top of no talent required, there are requirements that allegedly you have to have had. So I'll, I'll read them <laughs> off now. Um, one of them was energy. Another was effort. Uh, doing extra was one of them. 
uh, attitude, and naturally, being prepared, body language, yeah. work ethic, uh, being coachable, uh, and being on time were all required, but talent was not, listen, according man. to Penn State recruiting listen. in 2016. Listen, listen. Being a, being a college football player is 10% luck, Stop. 20% skill, 15% concentrated power. Sorry. Is this how we get a YouTube strike? <laughs> For copyright? No, no, no. We're, we're, we're fine. All right. All right. Let's get out of here before we, before we actually get ourselves a YouTube strike. Bill, any, anything to send our listeners off into their week with? Uh, no, 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 no. Have a, have a, have a nice week. Friends. Next to you. Remember if you need betting advice, come to me. Why? Something happened? I won. Oh, on this. Oh, I, what do you I, mean, thought, what I happened? thought there was something like the, I thought there was something like the NFL that I didn't no, know. No, don't ask me about the um, NFL bets I placed this week. Just assume they all won. Well, according to Twitter, the NFL was rigged because everybody's out to steal your money, and that money should instead be going to Home Field Apparel. Fifteen percent off your first order with promo code Roar Lions Roar. Thank you, as always, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. Be sure to follow us on Twitter over at RLR Blog. Uh, it's a big week for Penn State basketball. They're going on the road uh, to face number one, Purdue. Uh, if they win that, I will go live on Twitter spaces. Uh, maybe, I don't know, that's trivia night, so who's to say? Uh, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us a comment if you're on YouTube. Uh, be cool. Leave cool comments. Ask us fun questions. We'll answer them uh, either in the comments or in a future episode. Uh, and yeah, for my co-host, Bill DeFilippo, for my co-host, Nick Polak, I am Matt Flibovitz. Go State. Go State. Go Leeds.